Psalm 112 is where we are this morning. Before we look at it, I want to tell you about a friend that I met when I was right out of college. When I was right out of college, I had started uh, seminary. That's not cemetery, it's seminary. Some, some wonder what the difference is. I, it's grad school for theology is essentially what it is, if you don't know. I was an intern at a church in Chattanooga. And it was actually the church that I spent eight years before I came up to Delaware. And while, while I was there, I ended up meeting the, the interim youth pastor. And the interim youth pastor, his name was Tim. And Tim was probably late 40s. I don't think I've ever met anybody as cool as Tim. Like everything he did, every way he dressed was just uber cool. I'll, I'll never get there. I realized that. I gave up hope a long time ago. But Tim, Tim was cool. And... I remember talking with Tim and I realized shortly after I became an intern, like Tim had had this terrible tragedy in his life that only probably, I think it was just a few years before, his wife had died in a tragic car accident. And so most of the time, Tim was just kind of cool and laid back. But I do remember, I remember one lunch where I went with Tim and I was talking with him and this was not a laid back lunch. And he was, he was telling me, kind of walking through that painful day in his life. And I remember him saying this. He said, Curtis, I've learned that you don't sweat the small stuff. I don't know if that phrase is familiar to you. Don't sweat the small stuff. I know what Tim meant by it. What Tim meant by it is there are lots of things that are important in life. There's many things that really don't matter much. And we can spend our lives thinking about lots of things that don't matter much. As I listened to him, I, I thought about that, especially in light of Psalm 112. Because Psalm 112 isn't about the small stuff. It's about the things that actually matter the most the things that matter the most and how that actually shapes your life. When I, when I come to this psalm in particular, it's almost as if the Lord is just saying, listen up because this is what really matters. So, so can we turn our attention to that? Psalm 112 and especially verse 1. And verse 1 is a short verse, but there's just a lot, of, a lot packed in that. I'd actually like for us to read it together as a congregation. Can we, can we do that? Psalm 112. Let's read it. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. It starts off, as you see, with with really a call to worship. Praise the Lord. In Hebrew, that's the word hallelujah. It's a call to praise, but, but then it moves quickly into this blessing that's pronounced over people. Blessed is the man, and, and by that we can certainly understand it to mean men and women. Blessed are those, blessed is the person who and then begins to describe, it's not even so much a to-do list as it's, this is what happens. This is the life that is blessed. And so we kind of lean into like, what does it mean to be blessed by the Lord? I think the psalmist quickly is saying, praise the Lord and give attention because this is the kind of life you want. This is the kind of life you want to have. This is where you want to be as a person. 
So as we kind of lean into, okay, what is that then? How do I receive the blessing of the Lord? And this says, blessed, blessed is the man who, who fears the Lord. Who fears the Lord. When you read that expression, that's some sort of relationship, isn't it, with the Lord? And I don't know, I mean, I can imagine, depending on what kind of background we grew up in, we hear fear of the Lord in many different ways. We may even have many different understandings of what it really means to have the fear of the Lord. The Bible talks about this a lot. For some of you, you hear fear of the Lord and it may actually be a little unsettling. Or or it may just be confusing. Does that mean like we all should be terrified? Afraid of the Lord? Or, Or does it mean kind of the healthy respect that you have for... I don't know, uh, someone in authority or in charge, you have a healthy respect. Is that kind of what the fear of the Lord is? Or, or is, is it even something else? In the Bible, the fear of the Lord never means less. Okay, it never means less than having an awe and a reverence of God. Whatever else it means, and it does mean other things, it never means less than that. Having an awe and a reverence for the Lord. But... But this is where it kind of departs because it really does depend on your relationship with the Lord as to what this fear should look like. Because you can imagine if you are opposing the Lord, if you're rebelling against the Lord, then actually you would have every reason to be terrified of him. If you're opposing the one who made all this, you would have every reason to be terrified of him. But it's very, very different if you're moving toward the Lord in humility recognizing exactly who you are, and in love, knowing exactly who he is, then that awe and that devotion means a a deep, settled trust. So you see, it's different depending on on kind of how we're moving because God gives grace and, and whoever comes to the Lord, he doesn't cast out. So kind of a baseline of being blessed by the Lord is this matter of fearing him. Whatever fearing means, it it will always mean this, that God looms very large in your life. There's a book I've read that says, when people are big and God is small. And actually, this is the reverse of that, isn't it? This is when God is big and, and consequently everything else and everybody else is small in comparison. The fear of the Lord. So to receive this, the life we've always wanted, the life we were made to have, we fear the Lord. But, but notice how it's described in, in Psalm 112. If you have it there still in front of you, it says, blessed is the one who fears the Lord, who greatly delights. So, so this is the way Hebrew poetry works. It, it says, blessed is the one who fears the Lord, but then kind of, what does fearing the Lord mean? Well, it means this. It means you greatly delight in his commandments. This is odd words together, right? We've got delight and fear. We often don't think of those actually running together, but in the Bible, they do run together. So the one who has this awe and reverence of the Lord also delights in him. Seems maybe even a tad strange to us. We live in a world that says, whenever someone's telling you what to do, like, that's no good. You want to be the one telling others what to do. So if someone's telling you what to do and and you have to live by their commandments, that's actually, nobody wants to be that person. How can you delight in someone who tells you what to do? How can that even be desirable? Maybe a few analogies help. 
Think with me to the, the coach that pushes his or her team to success and actually tells them what they're going to do and often that's not necessarily what they want to do. But they do what they don't want to do so that they're able to perform at a high level. Or, or maybe you think of that friend that sometimes doesn't tell you always what you, what you want to hear. It tells you what you need to hear. Or, or think of that teacher, that authority figure that realizes you have, you have potential and, and does everything they can, even some things that are uncomfortable and pushing you to maximize your full potential. Or think of that parent who, who says no at times, who, who says this is a boundary and you can't go against that. And they don't do that for your harm. They do that for your benefit. You think it's, it's not that hard for us to imagine there are people that will tell us things to do and that actually is for our good. And that is exactly, that's exactly what God is doing. And because of that, we can delight in this. God in heaven who gives us commands and then blesses our life when we travel down, down the road with the guardrails in place. It's amazing as we, as we fear the Lord, as we delight in his commandments. And by the way, the commands there mean certainly more than just him saying like the Ten Commandments or something like that. It means like the complete instruction of the Lord. So we delight in that. We find something happening to us. And that is, we fear the Lord, we delight in the Lord, we end up looking more and more like Him. We begin taking on His character. I even find that in this psalm. We don't have time to, to look at all of this, but it's interesting, two times in this psalm, one in verse 3 and one in verse 9, it says that this blessed person, their righteousness endures forever. If you have good ears to hear the Bible, you know when someone's righteousness endures forever, it's normally the Lord's. But actually, this psalm says it's, it's a person. Their righteousness, this con- consistency of reputation, this consistency of character, if it far outlives our earthly life. And even in verse 4, it, it describes the the person, this blessed person is someone who is gracious and merciful and righteous. And you hear those words, gracious, merciful, and righteous. And I, I think, I know, I know who that must be referring to. That's, that's generally God. God is the one who's merciful and gracious and righteous. And yet in verse 4, it says, no, people are that as well. They're looking more and more like God. When we fear the Lord and we delight in him, we begin to look more and more like him. That begins to shape our lives. And it really begins to shape our lives in the things that matter the most. Not the small stuff, but in the things that matter the most. I want us to think about that today, kind of even dig further into this psalm, because it really does impact when we fear the Lord and greatly delight. It, it impacts who you are influencing. It impacts. It impacts who you are are influencing. We'll come back to this, but, but look at the scripture. Look at verse 2. It says, his offspring will be mighty in the land, the generation of the upright. This is that blessed person, right? The generation of the upright will also be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, his household, and, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns even in the darkness for the upright because he's gracious, merciful, and righteous. So he said, when we delight and fear in God, it impacts who you are influencing. This passage says the offspring are mighty. A whole generation is blessed. 
When you read that, it, it's, so my, my immediate mind goes to like a household. So I'm married, have kids. And so I think as I fear the Lord, this Psalm says, actually there are offspring are blessed. Generation is blessed. But, but I think if I extend that just a little bit further, because often the household in, in Hebrew life wasn't just like the mom, dad, and 2.5 kids, right? It was the extended family as well. I think so, so those that are closest to you, I think by way of application, it's not a stretch at all to say those that are closest to you are blessed because of your fear of the Lord, because you delight in his commandments. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. And I'm not sure that often people even realize it. Because God is big in your life. Because he looms large. Because what he has revealed about himself, you understand to be good. Because reflecting him is your desire. You have an incredible influence on others. Especially those closest to you. Did you ever think about this? Blessings come their way because of you. They get to see and live in the wake of your wisdom. They get to see you walk in in your relationship with the Lord, which is probably far from perfect, but they see you pursuing him and they benefit from that. Whether they even realize it or not, they're benefiting from that. They get to see your love for God. They get to see your love for others in action, not just talk, but in action, and they benefit from that. Deep down, I think we all want this. I think we all want our lives to influence others. I don't know, at this point in ministry life, I really don't know how many funerals I've officiated. But I think every single one of them I've come to. At that moment, it really, really matters. It's really, really important of who you influence. I don't think any of us want to just live our days on this earth and be done and, and like there be no memory, no influence, no one lives differently because we were in their lives. And this says that is not going to happen. That is not going to happen. People will be different because, because of your fear of the Lord because you delight to do what he says to do. That's an amazing thing. Is that you? Do others benefit from your wisdom, from your understanding? Do others reap the fruit of good decisions that you made and are making? How about your friends? How about your family members? How about those coworkers that are closest to you? How about a roommate or... Do others benefit from your patience that you don't lose it? But just like God, you are, you're patient with people. Do others benefit from the love that's like God, which we could say is unconditional, but I'd actually want to say more than that. It's, it's actually, someone said it well, it's contra-conditional. It's despite the conditions that would seem to push us away from God. God pursues us and loves us anyway. What an amazing thing. Do others benefit Or is the environment around you more toxic? See, the one who fears the Lord, the one who delights in him, has a great influence on others. If you're anything like me, when I I begin to think through my influence, I quickly can acknowledge and remember ways in which I've influenced people not in a positive way. Actually, I've, I think back to times where I'd go, I'd sure like to do that differently. 
I sure wish I hadn't led them down that road. I, I sure wish they hadn't seen that and been influenced by my weaknesses, my failures, and my sins. And, and if you're, you are anything like me, you feel that. And so what I'd say today is there are actually new mercies for you today. There's a new start, a new beginning today. So you might have even lived, lived a, a long time influencing people in an awful way. And, you, and you're, you're aware of that, but you're not sure it really matters if you change now. And I'd say it absolutely matters. And, and God can change you. And, and God may give you another, another year, another five years, another 10 years, another 20 years of being different and influencing others. And, and in your wake, in the, in the change that God can make as you fear him and you delight in him, you have no idea of the good influence that God may use of your life even after you've failed. This is good news. This is the good news of Psalm 112. Fear him, delight in what he commands. You see, the one who fears the Lord lives far beyond themselves. They actually live a life that goes way beyond that. I think it shapes another area. It's not just who you're influencing. It's also, it's also what you do with what you have. What you do with what you have the blessed life impacts that. If you'll look at Psalm 112 and verse 3. Psalm 112 and verse 3. says, wealth and riches are in this blessed person's house. And his righteousness endures forever. Look at verse 5. It is well. We sang about that, right? It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. He is distributed freely. He's given to the poor. And his righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor, verse 9 says. So what I am talking about is what do you do with what you have? So the person that fears the Lord and the person that greatly delights in him takes what they have and uses that in a certain way. It'd be very easy. I mean, we read the words like wealth and riches to immediately kind of go to dollars and cents. And I think there's a portion of that in Psalm. I don't think that's all because I've actually seen lots of people who have lots of dollars and cents but live pretty miserable lives. So I think it's talking about more. And it really seems the emphasis of this passage is not like fear the Lord and God will just stack your bank account. It, it seems like that, that would not be the right inference from this. It actually would, would do us well to ask this question, what happens with what we've been given? So it seems like the person in Psalm 112 had at least from some standards wealth and riches. What is done with what you have. person who's blessed by the Lord in Psalm 112, it says, they see what they've been given as an opportunity to serve rather than be selfish. An opportunity to serve. So it even gets into like economic terms, they lend. And in that economy, that was so important. It actually, by lending, you actually help development grow so that others could live better because you would lend. So you could help develop their businesses, their lives. This is the kind of person, they, they take what they have and rather than kind of hoard it, she, she would operate in such a way that others are blessed and able to take care, take care of their needs. This blessed person is, is the person who sees what they have and what they do with what they have is they see it as an opportunity to bless rather than just live large. I, I think it will always be possible to live a little bit more comfortable. To li- live a little bit larger. But 
the person who sees what God has given them and fears the Lord actually uses that to bless others. And the scripture said there, so this person would deal with others in a generous way, would act with grace. So if we looked at her bank account and we looked at her calendar, and maybe if we examine the miles on her car and like, where, where is she going? What is she doing? The bank account would tell a story that she's not just consuming what she has, but she's giving what she has. If, if we looked at a, 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 a grocery bill, we would see maybe it, it might be high, but it's because there's always people in the home, always an opportunity to bless others. What do you do with what you have? The blessed person, because they fear the Lord. Because God is big here. They recognize something. They can work for justice rather than take advantage. So wealth and riches sometimes can mean you can override justice if you wanted. But this person looks out for the poor, actually conducts whole life with justice. Isn't that a life worth living? What's motivating is God is big, money's not. Money's, money's a tool in our hands, but, but God is ultimate. In heaven, we won't sing the praises of money. We'll sing the praises of what God has done. And because we feared him, we delighted in, in him. We, we like to do what he said. And so we, we love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the motivation here. He's given us more than we could ever possibly deserve. We want to look more and more like him. And what we know is he is incredibly generous. And so that reflects our lives. We're free from the love of money. We're free from being stingy. We take our power, we take our position, and we use those. And it'd just be really easy to say, well, Curtis, if I had a lot of money, I'd give, I'd give money away. But actually, the point is, what do you do with what you have? What do you do with what you have? Regardless of the amount. What do you do with what you have? The one who fears the Lord lives a certain way. There's another way that this person who's blessed lives life very, very differently. And that is this. It really does impact and transform how you handle trouble. How do you handle trouble? How do you handle when, when problems come your way? We'll come back to this. Look at, look at verse 6. It says, For the righteous, the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. I think this is the person who would sing, it is well, it is well with my soul. I think that that would be the song that would be sung. A big indicator of what's going on in our hearts, let's just face it, a big indicator is how we handle trouble. How do you handle trouble? Because this person is blessed by the Lord, because they they fear the Lord and they greatly delight in what God says to do. They handle trouble in a different way. See, I mean, we read at the beginning of the psalm with like wealth and riches and we think this person is, has it easy. But then we come to verse six and we recognize, okay, that maybe it isn't so easy because in verse six, it seems like there are these destabilizing circumstances. And as you keep reading in in verse 7, I mean, it's an amazing verse. Like, the person who's blessed by the Lord doesn't have to be afraid of bad news. That means there's a potential of getting some news that that is bad. 
And, and even verse 8 talks about enemies or adversaries. This is not easy street. This is not someone who just lives on a mountaintop and doesn't have to worry about anything. And actually could be that this person has a difficult time in life, but one day, one day, this person will outlast their adversaries, outlast their enemies. When difficult circumstances come because God is big and we fear him, nothing can be bigger than him. So you might have had one of those weeks where you came across a circumstance that was bigger than you. You might be having one of those months. You might be having one of those years where everything you come across seems bigger than you. But it's not bigger than God. And because of that, there's these words of stability, right? I'm, I'm not moved. Life doesn't just disintegrate. So last night I had the, the misfortune of being up like multiple times as that wind was just blowing like crazy and there's large trees and I'm, I'm listening to it and, and kind of my first glance as I'm leaving today was like, are all the trees still standing? You know, are they all still standing? And they all were. And what that tells me is there's something that goes deep down into the ground that roots those trees so that when even the most powerful of winds come and blow those things, they're not going down. And, and that tells us there's something deep in their lives. And, and that is such a good illustration of, of what God does when we, when we fear him and when we delight in him. It's certainly not that we don't have wind blowing and we don't have those weeks that just kind of knock us for a loop and we go, what just happened? You will have those weeks. And they will certainly begin to destabilize you but those who fear the Lord, they're, they're not moved. They stay steady. They don't live in terror of the, the call that could mean not just that life is complicated, but life is over. They don't fear that call. The good news that they know is much, much greater than any bad news that could come. And the good news is that God has them. It says that they trust in the Lord. Is that the way you handle trouble? Is that you? You don't have to be afraid because your life can't unravel. Because you just trust the Lord and he's holding it all together. And he's not going to let it unravel. Is that you? It's no false bravado. Like, I'm just strong enough, I'll make it. It's not that. It's I've got a God who's big enough. He will sustain me. He will protect me. It's the confidence we have in God just an amazing picture because we're blessed because we fear him because we delight in him we we influence our influence is greater probably than we realize and it changes what we do with what we have it certainly impacts how we look and face trouble there's such a difference at the end of the psalm psalm 112 and verse 10 says the the wicked man sees all of this and is angry. Just a, a word picture here. He, he gnashes his teeth, but then melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Psalm deals in contrast, doesn't it? It, it says, here's the blessed person in verse 1. Here's the wicked in per- person in verse 10. Here's the one who fears something in verse 1. And here's the person who doesn't in verse 10. They don't fear, they don't fear God. 
Nobody's going to tell them what to do. They don't need God's commandments. Hardly delighting in it. They don't, nobody's going to tell them what to do. They have no fear. And when you come to verse 10, it doesn't look like it works out so good for them. Because what they desire, they never can get. It perishes as well. And their whole existence just melts away. And I think, oh, how, what a tragedy. I mean, none of us want to be there. None of us want like our whole existence to one day just kind of melt away. We want to live our lives for something bigger than that. Such a strong picture. No one wants to end up in there. So how do we avoid the description in verse 10? I mean, you could try by just purposing like, I'm going to be a better person. I wouldn't advise that way. I think there's a better way. We go back to the beginning. We go back to even what verse 1 taught us. We begin to think through this. Okay, what does fear of the Lord mean in light of Jesus? What is delighting in the commandments of God in light of Jesus? It means this. It means we, we approach God through Jesus Christ. We tremble at our own sin, which put Jesus on the cross. We come with joy because Christ has gone to the cross for us. We put our faith in what he's done for us. We, we know the perfect love that actually casts out fear. We know that. We know it not just theoretically. We know it personally because we've experienced it. We know what he's told us. And this is exactly what Jesus told us. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll do what I say. In light of the cross and in light of the commandments, we live differently. And because of that, because of that, this week, church, others will be blessed because of your faith, because of your influence. Because of that, church, God will open many opportunities to take what you have and to bless and to serve and to work for justice for others. Because of that, we don't melt when trouble comes. Because of that, we don't have to sweat the small stuff. We actually know what's important. We've been given words to say when we really grasp this is what matters most. Can I ask you to bow your head? In a moment, we'll sing, and it's a kind of a, a fitting conclusion because it's a prayer to the only God who can keep us from falling. Today, do you, do you fear the Lord? Do you greatly delight in what he says to do? Are there areas where the Lord's reminded you, the indicators of your influence or what you're doing with what you have or how you're handling trouble? God, would you open our eyes? We might see Jesus. We might live our lives in full devotion to him and his word. And in doing so, Lord, would you keep us from falling? Would you use our lives to impact others? Would you give us the generous heart that shares what we have? We ask all these requests so that you might be glorified. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.